Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Halloween edition. We're talking Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, your friend and mine, Mr. Halloween, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to me, Tom. Mom, I'm on a diet. Do you want an oinker for a daughter? (laughs) I love the the um, the historical diet relativism relativism of that moment. <laughs> the fact that she's arguing that the healthier breakfast option is a bagel with cream cheese. Yeah, right. She's saying, <laughs> "Mom, I just want to eat these carbs and fats with no protein or fibrous content." <laughs> All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to to discuss Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, a 1988 movie directed by Dwight H. Little, who has directed mm. such films, Tom, as March for Death, mm-hmm. a Steven Seagal movie, Rapid Fire, Free Willy 2, and Murder at 1600. So you can kind of see, like, him leveling up. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. At least in in This is just when you give me that list, this this is his best movie. Right, exactly. <laughs> like by far. By a long way. <laughs> this movie is criminally low on Rotten Tomatoes yeah. at twenty nine percent. That's that's uh, ridiculous. That's yeah. It, it makes me think that the uh quote unquote critics at um Rotten Tomatoes don't understand horror movies. You know the importance—the importance of screen craft, because that is what mm-hmm. that is what this movie is all about. If you want to know about craft, you can find it yes. in the opening titles of this movie. <laughs> That's a great opening title sequence. Yeah, it's spooky. And... <laughs> and it's wonderful. It's particularly admirable as it has nothing to do with the rest of the no, movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a mini it's movie. It's just like the there cartoon to that we set see mood. The it's just there to yes. set mood and it does it wonderfully. I completely agree. But if we're going to, you know, if we're going to lay into Halloween 3 for not having anything to do with Halloween 2 and 4, we can't ignore the fact that the opening sequence of Halloween 4 is irrelevant. <laughs> not the sequence, not the opening sequence, the title sequence. Okay. Yeah, that's true. All right. This movie had a budget of $5 million, an opening weekend of $6.8 million. I was there opening weekend. <laughs> I can tell you that hey. much. 
And in the USA and the world, $17.7 million. So it did make more money than Halloween 3. Mm-hmm. Not more than Halloween 2. But again, mm. I mean, after Halloween 3, I get it. I'm, I'm still baffled that Halloween 2 was as low as it was. Yeah. But, you know, for Michael Miles Myers returning, again, I think you would have garnered more money than it made. So. But, I mean, again, we listen back to the last episode to see how tarnished the rep- reputation of the series was after Halloween yeah. 3. There's, there's nowhere to go but up, but don't expect, you know, don't expect it to suddenly... Uh, U-turn in popularity. Mm-hmm. This is all about climbing back to previous highs, but it, it's it's the it's the yeoman's effort to get there that this movie's about. Yeah, and I am struck every time I watch this movie by what you said—the craft of it. Yeah. This movie is put together solid so well. It does everything it's supposed to do. Yeah. It has legitimate scares. Mm, okay, I might I might uh, depart from that, but go on. Oh, I think it has some good jump scares. I has I, uh, I think it has good creepy moments. Creepy, I'll give you creepy. I love that anytime my note is what's with all the late night pickups of insane people? but i love like both in that scene and then just a little while later the first time you see dr loomis Mm -hmm. i love how efficiently they deal with the end of halloween too yes you know what i described it as a quick pickle retcon (laughs) exactly so they, because in where I'm, full disclosure, where I'm getting most of my behind the scenes facts for this movie is a, a great series of books called Taking Shape, yeah. which is about um, the production of all the Halloween movies, even those that were never made, and um, which should be interesting for our picture sequel because <laughs> this franchise has more unmade sequels than any in history. <laughs> um. But they say in that section something I take issue with, which is that that they deal with uh, Loomis and Michael surviving the end of Halloween 2 by not dealing with it. Right. And I don't think that's true. I think that's a bit of an overstatement. Yeah. But what I that that's why I came up with quick pickle retcon because you know, with pickles, the more you marinate it in the juice the better the pickle is. Right. But you can get away with a quick version of But what of that. they That's mean is it's never fun. stated or talked about. It's only seen. It's stated once. That's true. That's okay. Not how they survive. Right. But that they but have that, survived. Yeah. Which is a revelation in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can... This is the quick pickle version of the retcon. It's like... But you see Michael's scarred hands. Avocado toast. You see Michael's scarred hands... For some reason, even even though, even though it's seven years later, he still has bandages on his face. But okay. But that makes sense. 
<laughs> he died. He's coming back from death. <laughs> right. That's a slow recovery. Slow, right. But that at one point I actually asked the question because I think to me not dealing with it would have been uh, Loomis has no scars. Right. So there is an effort to deal with Which it. Which happens by it... Halloween 6. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I've already got the answer for why they didn't do that. Um, because it would be like it is in Halloween 6. Yeah. But, um... but you're going to watch the producer's cut and you'll finally understand. You Okay. <laughs> but having that scarring is dealing with it. But at one point I thought, would because it's so implausible that either of them survive... Would it have been better just to, you know, ignore, just to treat it as the elephant in the room and never speak of it and have no and have no scars for Luke <laughs> and just and no and no bandages yeah. on Michael that it just it just picks up. But well, let's face I it. I mean, the bandages movie... are just there to keep the face from being seen because he's not going to be in the hospital bed wearing his mask. That's it, and and this is a movie where they where they worked re- the screenwriters work really hard on providing justification. For everything that happens in the movie, and I think yeah, right. overall, overall they 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 do that to the point where if there are implausibilities and there are problems, it glosses over them to the point where you don't mind. Mm-hmm. And the majority of what happens is very plausible and very uh, integrated, integrated, story plausible, life. and even motivated. Motivated, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Completely. And I think that's a real strength of this. So I'm I'm not surprised that they decided that they wanted to deal with it. I'm also not surprised that they, they kept that to a minimum. The the bare minimum of what you'd need to suggest that these people this um, survived a fire right. which killed them. <laughs> which let's face it killed Where them. Where we actually saw them die. Yeah. This is not Marion in the basket in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Right? This, <laughs> right. is, this is, we saw them die. And again, the last this line is that Luma that... speaks in Halloween 2 is, It's time, Michael. Yes. <laughs> it's time for us to have a slow recovery. Yeah. Um, but I mean, again, this is like, again. You know, we'll talk about this next year when we do the the remaining Halloween movies, but not something we've got away from. They killed Michael in a fire again. Yeah, right. In a way that clearly he cannot escape. <laughs> <laughs> so they've not learnt their lesson. There's one thing to say about this franchise. It never learns its lesson. I'll say. Well, you referenced that they kind of talk about it at the beginning. I really yeah. like like the security guard. Great exposition he is good dump. Good value. Great exposition he dump. Is. That's it. But you know what? This is a sign that. Plus because... the great line: "God has nothing to do with this place." That's right. But for the first third of this movie, people speak exclusively in exposition dumps. Yeah. But you don't mind because the performances are good. Mm-hmm. The dialogue it's, is actually very yeah, good. Yeah, right. Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this place. You never get to used to the faces, never. Um, And I think this movie has figured out the formula for, you know, 
we we want to catch everybody up but we actually want the scenes themselves to be interesting and compelling in which they're doing them but they are because those are some of my notes yeah, they figure it out i so i mean they figure yeah. out the balance of that way even you uh, almost don't notice that any everyone is speaking in pure exposition for a third of the movie i lo- yeah the whole the whole exposition of the family at the beginning where you learn about rachel and and jamie and her relationship to that family well there's only one way that we can convey that visually and that's by looking at a photograph of someone who isn't in the movie. Right. That's that's an impasse. <laughs> it's an impasse right there. Um, Even before that, the um, and this was something that I've seen people complain about. Like, well, you already said, like, why are they moving mental patients at night? That's fair. Um, why are they moving Michael Myers, the most dangerous man in the world? At all. On Halloween. Yeah. But in the movie, the justification, which makes perfect sense to me, is it's that doctor's attempt to discredit Loomis, Loomis. and get him fired. Right. Like and I that said, makes sense to me. Motivated. It's, like, it's completely motivated. Love it's a like, good character. I don't want motivation. this guy breathing down my neck anymore. Right. And even before we see Loomis, we know what that looks yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> that is a difficult situation to be in to have Donald Pleasance. Um, well, and plus you have the uh, added later scene for extra horror of thumb and skull. Right. And that's the other interesting thing about this movie. If, if you watched it, you, you think it was cut to pieces by censors. But in fact, the opposite right. is true. The movie was too conservative in its horror. They wanted to go for the first movie. Right. They actually added violence yeah. to the movie. That and the neck um, pull at the end. Are right. the two big ones. So this this movie is its own censor, which is very rare in horror movies. Normally, especially in this period, um, the Motion Picture Association are, are asking, know, yeah, asking for for you to cut some. Yeah, cut the the best, you know, the best kills, the best horror moments in the movie get left on the cutting room floor. This movie doesn't fall prey to that because it it does its own uh, censorship. Right. It's an efficient operation. Yes, exactly. But then we do get to know the family, and all of the family dynamics feel like, like you said, it's acted well. I think it's written well. Uh, It's all emotionally honest. I love the idea of these parents saying, like her father says, that little girl needs as much help as we can give her right now. And her going back to apologize. However, yes, they do leave her alone <laughs> on Halloween with her sister, her uh, stepsister, to look after her. True, and that results in her going trick or treating and getting lost in the sticks. That's just of one of Haddonfield. the uh, things that this series has to concede is yeah. is that all parents will go to some party on Halloween night instead of taking their children trick-or-treating. But you, what you're absolutely right about, and this is where this movie is perfectly balanced, is that it's emotionally authentic. The, the character relationships are emotionally authentic, and yet the formula is also set in stone. Yeah, right. So we're retre... I mean, the big complaint of this movie, you know, is that it's just retreading 
the original movie beat for beat. Um, and that's not entirely true. I don't true, think that's true, but yeah. That's not entirely true, but it's also true that that's what it's working with it as, a, does, as it, source Yeah, material. it feels like it wants to return to form, but I also think it's... A spe- you know, they make choices in this movie in which you cannot say anything other than this movie stands on its own. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's a lot of those. A lot of those. And... Um, but in a responsible way and in a way that is um, authentic and faithful to uh, the first two Halloween movies. Yeah, I would say. absolutely. And that's what it, it is. It does it's like feel it's being, very... It's being faithful to that in spirit, yes. uh, not just not just to the letter. The last two movies do not feel connected to one, two, or four in the same way that, that four feels connected to one and two. Yeah. And it's it's a matter of, you know, when including when I would say like look, Donald Pleasance is Donald Pleasance, so he can bring it when he wants to. But this feels like the last movie in which he's not kind of phoning it in. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I I read that um well, he had two rationales for returning. One was I'm free mm-hmm. and they pay. Yeah. The other one was I read the script they actually do a good job of developing the characters. Right. It seems like I'm needed in the story. Right. And that's a big thing for actors return. Like there are numerous examples of, I mean, speaking of the India, we talked a little bit about the Indiana Jones franchise. The big reason why both Sean Connery and John Reese Davis aren't in crystal skull is not because they didn't want to come back, but they didn't want to just be, be guests there. at a wedding applauding. Yeah. So Donald Pleasance obviously saw something in the in the script, and I, I absolutely agree. Like it, it's it's one of the real strengths of this movie is that they pick up Loomis from exactly where he was yeah, at the end exactly. of Halloween Two, a man of action. Well, just his and, introduction, him limping yeah. down that hallway and bursting through that door, and yeah. saying, "What the fuck have you done?" <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You know, it's I mean, if you it's got so out the overwhelming right that you shooting, almost you feel for that doctor where you're like, I think he was right. He should have gotten rid of Michael. <laughs> Completely. That's it. That's what I mean. It all sort of makes it all sort of makes sense. Um, Michael Pataki. But, but, Poor Michael Pataki yeah. is Dr. Hoffman. And there's an early scene in this movie, which I think is probably. Certainly in the sequels, Loomis is best scene certainly the best written scene about his character which is when he's hitchhiking mm-hmm. and he's picked up by uh, an RV reverend COVID priest is what I call him <laughs> and you know what's so this this scene does more to kind of build Loomis's character than probably anything in the next but also movies. right before that where he doesn't get picked up by the high school students. That kind of really right. humanizes him in a. It does, you know. But he get that scene. He gets, you know, he gets in the RV. He's like, you can see the look on his face. This is a crazy old man. What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the scene, he realizes he has more common, more in common right. with this crazy old man than any other human being in, in the, the world. world, and shares some of his and he uh, can, COVID. And the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the Reverend can see it in him. He just takes yeah. one look at him and says, you're hunting it, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, in the novelization um, of the movie, that Reverend has a bigger role. Yeah. He basically becomes Crazy Ralph. Uh-huh. But, um... Like a, a, the equivalent of Crazy Ralph. But I love how he's used in this movie as a one-scene character. Particularly because at this point in the movie, it's like a road movie. And he's exactly the kind of one-scene character you get in a road movie. Right. We skipped ahead a little bit because... Yeah. Because... He burst. Well, first we have to talk about Mustafa Akkad, <laughs> who is whose name is emblazoned on the screen as if he is the star or possibly a location in this movie. <laughs> One screen for Mustafa Akkad, another for presents. Yes, <laughs> and then his name appears two more times, and this is all because he he bought. Carpenter and Hill's shares. shares and is trying to claim his right of authorship over the movie, which, you know, um, in economic terms, he certainly has. So there's that. And also he was adamant about bringing Michael Myers back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he was he was the only person who voted the only stakeholder in the franchise that voted against get, right. the anthology approach. In uh, Halloween three. Mm hmm. And this, so this was pure vindication for him that that uh, you know after the failure of that, that they had to go back to Michael Myers. You had to go back to basics, and that's why this this he he is definitely the root of why this movie, um, is stressing familiarity, and uh, you know, strength of storytelling, um, con- continuity, is because. For for our cards, Halloween is Michael Myers. There's no right uh, separation between those two. Well, I think that had a lot to do with my prejudice for so long against Halloween three too. Because right, yeah, I think of the Halloween series as it's the Michael Myers series. And in an economic, in a purely economic sense, he's not wrong. Right, he was the only person who was right about. Uh, financially about the move, what it would do to this and the reputation of the series. But the one thing I also want to say that, that I find upsetting about this movie, this movie's oh. so good. It deserves a better mask. Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought that. Up. <laughs> it's really upsetting to say about this mask. It's not the worst mask in the series for me, but it's the second worst. It's the problem for me is it's too cute. It's almost smiling. Mm-hmm. And when when uh, Michael does the the cocking his head to a and side, there's no like cheekbones. <laughs> Good point. Touche. Um, but it almost looks like it's smiling, which is, yeah. is it almost looks like an emoji. Well, and it's funny because She's not very threatening. when you juxtapose this movie versus Halloween 5, what's interesting yeah. is in this movie, it's like the the coveralls, the gas station coveralls are like zipped all the way up and the and the mask is constantly stuffed into them. And you think, right. like, let that mask breathe. Get that thing out of there. That mask breathe. But then you get into Halloween 5 and you see this mask like just jutting out 
and you're like, well, tuck that in a little bit. It was like they, they had, you know, in the first movie and the second movie, too, uh, not not as much, but certainly in the first movie, they find the sweet spot of the neck of the mask and how long yes. it should be and whether or not it's in yes. or out or how it relates to the coveralls. Like, there's something, Agreed. you know, and... So in addition to the mask itself not being very good, how it's always stuffed in. And plus, he's always wearing hockey gear underneath for uh, uh, George P. Wilbur. And so there's times where he looks all hunched up. And that's because he's wearing pads underneath to try and make him look bigger. Which is unnecessary, by the way. It is. But. I agree. Um, I just had to. It's also a bit. It's also a problem when you are trying to do something of a reset. Yeah. Because him, he has to get the boiler suit and the mask all over again. Right. So the fact that that doesn't look like it does in the original kind of harms that whole effect. Because you're you're, re- you're resetting, you're not you're not carrying on. Mm-hmm. Um So I I complete I completely agree. Uh, I wonder how bad it, it would look. Do, if it also you, doesn't re- like edit it out well computer wise. Like if you put a new mask on him, yeah, through computer CGI, if that could work or not. Uh, no, no, damn it! Don't don't do that. <laughs> he deserves a better mask. Or just or just like CGI a frowny face instead. Yeah, of the there smile. you go. All right, well let's take our first break. All right, we'll take a break and yeah, absolutely. Let's come back and then let, let's talk about what uh, Loomis has in common with Abraham Lincoln. All right, <laughs> we'll pick it up there, ladies and gentlemen. Right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. 1988 film directed by Dwight H. Little. Now, off air, did you say you have no answers <laughs> to how Loomis is like Abraham Lincoln? No, it's just it's it's an observation. Uh, 
when um when Loomis stops at the gas station. But that's after that road. great ambulance in the muck scene too. Yes, Love that's that true. scene. Yeah. It's a great scene. It's a great way for I also like the fact that as soon as the doctor starts asking narrative questions he can't answer, he gets killed. <laughs> That's also a very efficient way to avoid some of the more impossible parts of the movie. But, uh, yeah, so Loomis is uh, hunting down Michael. um, And he's... uh, Oh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, in the background. He's framed against a a photo of... of But several pictures. There's several pictures of Abraham Lincoln. What's the comparison being made here? I was like, why? Because as, as I understand it, Abraham Lincoln is best known for freeing slaves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the same cannot be said no. of Loomis. Loomis wants to keep everybody um, locked up. <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, something what you said about uh, uh, that really that, that really chimed with me was that this movie has makes choices that are all its own. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, is the first one. I wasn't expecting Loomis and Michael to meet yeah. so early in yeah. the movie, as they do at this ga- gas stop um, restaurant. Well, and there's lots of like nice little touches too. He, yeah, he goes over to the counter. There's like a jar of pigs' feet. I think <laughs> he he sees that the phone is smashed. He sees a dead person. He walks back over, and all of a sudden, what's I really like the touch. This is more Dwight H. Little to me. It's like he senses Michael is there, and he slows yeah, down, sure. and he slowly turns, and there's Michael. And then I know that this was an improv uh, that Donald Pleasance did himself when he starts walking towards him slowly, and he just lets his cane drop. Fucking love that. It's so good. You see, when other when other actors do that, you say it was breaking character. Who? Bruce Willis in Misery. Anyway, when he forgot he was injured on stage in Misery. Anyway, Misery. Yeah, Bruce Willis was in the Broadway stage version of Misery, and uh, I think it was Julie. Oh, Clarkson I thought you were getting saw... your actors confused there for a second. I was like, what? No, Bruce Willis and, is and not Julie in Cla- Misery. What are you talking the about? The comedian Julie Klausner saw him on stage and and reported back that he at one point forgot he'd been hobbled. Oh, he was just like dancing he was around normally on stage. In the final scene, after he'd been hobbled, he was walking normally and then remembered and then started. That's limping. great. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, it's. it's it took me totally by surprise because it feels like something that that this movie purposely wanted Did to Did you change. see this movie in the theater? No. Okay. I would have been six. Well, that wouldn't have stopped, stopped, My that wouldn't have stopped Matthew Aldrich. Not that irresponsible. Stay tuned for the 1982 project to hear the many stories. So... <laughs> Do you want to go? <laughs> you want to go and see Goonies, or yeah, what right. do you want to go and see Last Crusade? I see Last Crusades too adult as well. I saw that in the cinema. Um, so yeah, the, the and that's the beginning of a like a few. I think that that's warming us up to the idea that that things might go a little mm-hmm. differently than we expect. Great practical uh, effects too. I mean, gas station explosion. Yeah, it, it, it's. 
It's well, it's also the point of the movie, and and this is why I took issue with your scares. Is that I I don't relate to this as a horror movie. I think of it more as an action movie or a thriller. I think I th- I mean I get why you're saying that. There are certainly action and thriller vibes, but I and I'm fine with that. It's not a criticism. No, 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 me either. But I think there I think Obviously, there are fairly good horror scares at the beginning with the imagination about. The boogeyman that Jamie has. Yeah, I think that's more about Jamie. I right. I think it's because she's actor. a great actor. Yeah. There's uh there was always like literally maybe just a couple years ago I finally stopped jumping at a scare in the middle of this movie when Jamie's walking down the street and you get the you know violin screeches and Donald Pleasance comes out of nowhere to catch her <laughs> and. It's it's to- totally manipulative, I, but but that scare is, had always gotten to me. Yeah, and then that just th- peppered throughout. There's just lots of oh fuck, he's in there somewhere that hmm. is unsettling. Interesting. That to me all works on a horror level. My big note for that scene where. Uh, Loomis comes out of the car was if it's a choice between a masked man in the scadows and a scarred man in a police car, I'm not sure which is the best option. <laughs> and maybe I think the movie. Well, is this is later that. though. This it's is dangerous this is when way. she's by herself and he ta- right before he takes her into the school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something I did admire the craft of in terms of um, horror and suspense was um, uh, the scene also when, around the same time when Jamie's lost in the in the wild woods of Haddonfield, mm-hmm. it seems. Um, and there's a series, then Michael Myers appears, then another Michael Myers appears, and it turns out it's uh, teenagers pranking her. And then the real Michael Myers mm-hmm. appears. And that, for me, was sort of textbook... Jaws in how it built yeah. the horror and the suspense because you get exactly as in Jaws you have the signifier of the threat in Jaws it's the shark fin here it's the mask and the mm-hmm. boiler suit you have it um, acted out by proxy in Jaws it's that some bad hat Harry and <laughs> right. here it's the pranksters and then you you suddenly face the audience with the real thing yeah, out of nowhere. Well, so, but I, because I, I, that's what I mean about yes, craft. It's like it's not, it's not an insult to say that this works. I'm, a tech, I'm not using textbook in a no, no way. I'm saying like, and that's extra admirable because the people who wrote this movie knew nothing about horror, or the Halloween franchise. Mm-hmm. They had to rent the Halloween movies before they wrote the that's screenplay. That's crazy. Because they knew nothing about it, and have subsequently done nothing in the horror over. And we're jumping ahead a bit. I want to go back, but first I want to say when the, like the multiple My- Michaels appear, I can remember mm. being in the theater, and probably out loud saying, "What the fuck!" <laughs> I I I, I was losing my too. shit for a half a second there. Now that of course you know they. They break that tension quickly. 
yeah, but, but it's crafted. That's what I mean. We've already you have yeah. you have it exactly right. It's crafted so well because it did exactly. I can remember what it did to me the first yeah. time I I saw the movie. Um, and and also, but because we've had that caveat of, you know, he could appear at any time, even in the same room as Loomis, even though we're not expecting that hap- to happen right. for another two quarters of the movie. That's one of my only. Uh, that's one of the only negative things I'll say about this movie. Michael seems to be able to time jump. <laughs> like, he's at the outskirts of town, uh, you know, yeah. at the power supply. He's at, at he's inside a cop car. Then he's at somebody's house. Then he's in the police station. Then he's, I mean, he could get around this guy. Well, maybe, maybe this was a course correction from Halloween 2 of... Maybe they felt they they spent a little too much time explaining how Michael gets from one part to, to the other than the other. There's no there's no uh, boombox radio exposition. exposition in this movie. But we do have a callback to the original movie when when Jamie goes to school and you have uh, every day is Halloween at Jamie's house and that kind mm. of thing going on. So I there's also the fact that she picks a picks a clown right. suit. So you you have kind of this like current a, movie kind of doing a pastiche of, of the first movie, which to me is kind of nice. I like all of that. And it's also a foreshadow of the ending of the movie. Correct. Because she instinctively go, goes for the costume um, that implies a genetic yeah. curse on her family. And also speaking to the craft of the movie, I love that they go to the drugstore to find her costume. And of course, outside, yes. you can see the tow truck that Michael used to destroy the gas station. Yeah. So you already know that he's there. Uh, mm-hmm. The getting of the mask and the screaming. I also love I love all the, you know, the teenager work. I have notes here that yeah, like that it, relationship... It's... Between Rachel and uh, mm-hmm. Bo, who's I forget his, or or rather Sasha uh, Brady's character. Brady, um, yeah. All of that felt really emotionally honest to me, and I, I even even the jokes. I love that the kid's gonna go up yep. to uh, you know the gorgeous woman, and what's her name? Kelly Meeker, Kathleen. Yes, and she just says "fuck Kelly. off, Wade." <laughs> it's great. so good. The young cast in this movie They're are excellent, great. and they handle they handle the material with a kind of natural yeah. ease that disguises all the deja vu. Because essentially, we're raking over, um, we're reimmersing ourselves in the sex life of teenagers, right. um, and. Something that worked incredibly well in the original Halloween did not work well in Halloween 2, and here it works almost as well as it does in yeah. the original movie, I think. And it just, it's its a perfect example of how this movie does all the same things on the surface, but because the actors feel real with it, and the writing feels real with it, you don't mind that it's raking over the same right. coals um, at all. And Unlike Halloween 2, this demographically feels right. Right, yeah. Because they are actually, they're not people who work in, have senior jobs in a right. hospital. <laughs> right. They're, they're teenagers who go to high school. They're teenagers that go to high school. 
who fuck up so and... So their behavior is perfectly right. appropriate. Exactly. And I gotta tell I love the character of Brady. Um... He certainly has an arc. That's in this what movie I was just gonna I've say. Been, like he has the most I've incredible forgot. arc in this movie. I kind of knew it was coming because of just of how how phallocentric eighties uh-huh. movies are. I knew that I knew that he wouldn't stay this uh, irresponsible male jerk the whole way through the movie. I knew that at some point. But even his irresponsibility jerk stuff felt e- at least emotionally honest um, in the sense... Well, it's not, because he lies to well, his he, I, I'm not saying he doesn't do things that makes him a piece of shit, but I'm saying, like, when you're a teenager and you put... You have this... Gr- you build this grand idea in your head of, of this girl that you like a lot, mm. and all of a sudden she pulls the rug out from underneath you, and you're like, I'm sorry, I got to babysit, and he gets irrationally pissed off. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're being kind of an asshole. And he's like, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I was really, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was really hoping for a lot. And I, I was really excited about tonight. And so for him to make the shitty choice of going to the other girl's house. But they're smart enough to take that moment where they're they're You know, she's taking her step, her sister uh, trick or treating and she sees them together. Yeah. And just the look yeah. on her face, and she walks away, and he runs past the woman he's currently with to say, Rachel, wait, come back, come back. And um, there was this one moment where, like, look, he knew he'd fucked up. He knew he was being an asshole. Mm. And he kind of yeah. cops to it by just saying, yeah. I mean, look, it just pissed me off, all right? And that felt very teenager to me. So yeah. all... And then a police officer gives him a gun and says, yeah, be a man. <laughs> Which is the 80s right. bit. But it's fine because it gives him a genu- it gives him somewhere to go yeah. dramatically. Where it's like, oh, he could actually come out being one of the better characters in the, you know, one of the, the more wholesome characters. Well, and what's funny to me about that scene, I mean, narratively, so, well, let's talk about, before we get there, I also want to talk about hard, hard-ass Bucky. And the sheriff, you're right. Uh, Good sheriff, oh, solid great sheriff. sheriff. And he's he's just he's he's right in between because the sheriff there's the the sheriff bracket like what you know questioning everything. Bo Star, what a great name! Sounds like a football star. He's literally as he's the Henry Hill's dad in Goodfellas, right? I remember. Um, sheriff the, Ben so Meeker, Bra- Bo Star as Sheriff yeah, Ben right. Meeker. So Sheriff Brackett is uh, always in conflict with Loomis. The guy in Halloween 2, I don't even remember his name, uh, just sort of said, whatever. <laughs> and this is a nice mixture right. of the two. So he's like, yeah. It's like, I'm going to do everything Loomis, I can to protect the town, but goddamn you for letting him out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I love the fact that he arrives and it's like, yeah, yeah, we know who you are, Loomis. Yeah, that there's a... There's, Pretty famous You're a famous piece killing. of shit around here for a long time, <laughs> mister. And he puts up just enough resistance for it to feel dramatically earned, uh-huh. but also they're very much working in tandem with each other and and it's exactly the it's it's exactly the balance that we never got to with Bracket when uh, he's taken out of the picture in 2 because of his right. daughter dying. 
that fucks up them getting to that place. So I feel like it's in lieu of that the way that him and Mika work. So we together. see their meeting. And then Loomis, of course, fucks him over because he the, likes that's, that, that, he likes that's how Loomis rogue. works. <laughs> Loomis, Loomis has to go rogue at least once a movie. So we get their meeting, and then we get. So one of my notes here is I put crafty Michael Myers. So crafty in this movie. You know, in the yeah. first movie, Tell when Jamie Lee Curtis tries to open up the patio doors and the rake is there. There's yeah. a lot of that in this movie. He goes, I mean, mm-hmm. he goes to the outskirts of town and fucks with hard hat Bucky, who is the, yes, the power worker who's just like, don't pull that fucking Halloween shit with me, buddy. <laughs> you stay right there. And I'll make a phone call. And is named it is named after the, the movie's prop master. Oh, fantastic. I don't think I knew that. Who is also the prop master on uh, Bordello of Blood. Oh, wow. Fucking two degrees of separation. It really is. <laughs> but people who love this movie love that character. Bucky? Bucky, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, another great one-scene character. Right. Like, you don't, you don't need them to play a bigger part in the movie than they do for them to be memorable. We just need the power out. In the town. Right. And that was something apparently the screenwriters were adamant about that, you know, Michael was doing everything for a reason. Right. And that everything that was happening in the town was was cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, that's a course correction. I mean, it's a course correction from three in some senses, but I think they're more concerned about two and how because of all the deleted scenes and the lost subplots, a lot of things right. didn't add up. And that was about lighting. That was about electricity too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. The, the, the power is out. The power the was out, but, but we, we never, never saw had that why. Scene showing how the power went out in the hospital. Yeah, right. So here they're very much like. We're not going to make effect. that same mistake. Yeah. Uh, and on that level, it, it's uh, it's a real success because uh, um, aside from what the movie and inher- the implausibilities that the movie inherits, what it inherits what it actually does in the movie makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And that's a big strength of this movie. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it happens over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's 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 also tightly written. Like, yes. I remember being in awe of the fact that um, the, you know, Brady is uh, having sex with the sheriff's daughter, but you don't find that out until... They're all trapped in a house together, right? And he's and he's had to bring along Rachel with him and Jamie. So, I love the way that that comes out in the script. But obviously, you know they that they had to plan that in advance. Well, and not just that, but like that whole set piece. I mean, that house scene is a good chunk of this movie. Yeah, and it's so great. It is. And even when I could complain about. Like, you can feel the movie struggling to do everything it has to do to get Mm. that scene to where it needs to go. And by that, I mean remove Loomis, remove the Sheriff Meeker. Right. Uh, All of the machinations involved in that. Yeah. Because I think we I think we referenced it in our in our introductory episode, in our ranking episode where we said, 
yeah, Loomis leaves the house. It's patently absurd, but he leaves the house because the screenplay needs him to leave the house. But it doesn't feel like that's the reason he leaves the house. Exactly. Yeah. And that's good. That's just. And that's good. good Because it's character. It's it speaks to his character. Yeah. He runs away implausibly all the time. Right. Exactly. So, A, he does that all the time. B, when when you have the gravitas of Donald Pleasant saying, I've got to try. You believe it. Absolutely. And plus, you also uh, underneath it, you have this great, I mean, just fantastic B, no C, probably D storyline of these hillbillies running around in their trucks. This for me is trying to hunt Michael Myers down. This is one of the best parts of the movies for me, because it's again, it's it's what this movie does. Well, it takes something that we've that we've seen um, hints of in the previous movies and expands it into its own storyline. Right. So, we, you know, in Halloween 2, we saw the angry mob at Michael Myers' house. Yeah. But that was it. And, and uh, here, yeah. with the barfly vigilantes, we extrapolate that into, you know, with this extra element of danger, which is that the, these hillbillies are going around with guns. So you have that element, but you also it also narratively gets Sheriff Meeker out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's like a whole fully developed storyline. Right. You know, they 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 accidentally kill Ted Hollister, whoever he is. Uh, <laughs> I always felt bad that we never got to see poor Ted Hollister. And um, and we even have Lo- like Loomis chiming in, showing his support. He's like, yeah, this is definitely the way to go. I'm like, what? Vi- armed vigilante justice? Really? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you do. Um, yeah, but to be fair, he's only that after he sees the murdered policeman. No, he well, he's wrong, and that's okay. Where Loomis is often wrong, um, <laughs> but I love that. I love that subplot, and again, it's another example of where we've taken something which is which works within the formula, but hasn't really been developed, mm-hmm. and 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 it's developed, um, and. You know, it taps into other kinds of horror, which is like you know the hillbilly horror subgenre. Yeah. Like Night of the Living Dead, Hills Have Eyes. Hills Have, yeah. Yeah, and also you know, twenty first century America. <laughs> right. The January sixth. Yeah. Insurrection. You know, same kind of people. Right. Well, actually, these people these people realize that they're wrong, so they're not the same kind of people. <laughs> Eventually, after they killed someone, it's it's the people they'll become later. The the January six people killed someone and still didn't realize they were wrong. Right. Um. And and you know in horror terms as well, it goes back to like James Wells Frankenstein, and the you know the angry mm-hmm. mob. Yeah. Are as dangerous as the monster itself, and that's exactly what they're going for here in a modern version of that that makes total sense within the storyline, and that we've seen the you know the. The beginnings of, but never followed up on, so... God yeah. damn it, I fucking love this movie. It's all great. right, let's take another break, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up, all right? Yeah. All right, right after this. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target. 
and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound-related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. We are back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing, of course, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. All right, Tom, I still want to talk about this entire house scene. Yeah. To me, I mean, this house scene rivals even stuff in the first movie. Agreed. That's how much I love it. You know, it's interesting... Because by this by this point in the franchise, John Carpenter has, you know... Forsaken the series. Cut, he's cut his losses with the series financially, artistically. Um, and the big... Re- he was involved in developing this sequel, but he walked away when he realized that they wanted to do, like, a, a remake come sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what he always hated about having to do these sequels. Um, and it's interesting to me that there are a number of references to other non-horror John Carpenter movies. The big one for me being Assault on Precinct 13, yeah, which is what this whole scene reminds me of. Okay, But I don't know if it's as much a nod to Carpenter as the whole idea of like a siege kind of scenario in the middle of this. It's just a really good way to go dramatically. Yeah, right. Because you kind of get the haunted house feel, right? You have a haunted house feeling, and but you keep it, you keep it moving, and it feels more like a, well, again, like an action thriller. Yeah, um, this, which is certainly the, the real strength of this for me. The real one, of the real strengths generically of this movie, it's able to make that leap into eighties action movie. But what I also love is within all of that, some great character stuff. Yeah. The two women talking to each other. Yeah, it's it's a real for me. It's a real shame that I because I really love that scene too, because it's like it's post feminism before post feminism. Right. It's like why can't we just take these men for all they're worth? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's sort of like it's sort of like you know we can still we can still be feminists, but also, uh, you know, like use men for our sexual gratification and we don't have to make enemies of each other. Right. And then she gets killed and then Kelly gets killed and it's like, we're going back into slasher tropes. Yeah. The most socially but before that, in the movie has to be killed. I mean, one of my favorite moments in the entire series is the white mask off in the distance. No, oh, okay. I love it. Yeah. To me, that that rivals the sort of slow, uh, you know, upping the light in the first movie. Well, they do it in the second movie, huh. too. But I, I just love that, like, tiny diddling. 
the, yeah. off in the distance white mask. Uh, the, I think that's fucking great. And it only just really occurred to me that, that, that Kelly's an interesting female character. Rachel is a really great action heroine. Mm-hmm. She's extremely proactive, you know, as much as Laurie is in the original right. movie. Jamie, you know, it, not any kind of archetype, but played with such, such honesty, confidence, and yeah, confidence and grace. I mean, like she's one of the best final girls I've ever seen. Right, and she's—I don't know how old, very young. I think she was nine or ten when I think she was ten and turned eleven during filming. But and, I think you know, the character is, is supposed to be nine. And now I know, like, like slasher movies have more female characters than than regular Hollywood movies, but I can't think of too many that have three equally interesting, equally different characters, right. both in kind of age and personality. Yeah. And none of them feel like badly written women. No. But also, this is where we have a return to heroism for Brady. And right, he yeah. dies and, and, like a fuck. My note is Brady dies like a fucking boss. <laughs> yeah, and there's a certain kind of, um, yeah, there's, there's that kind of masculinity returns to sort of rear its ugly head. Yeah, or you know, machismo. You should you should say, and I think that's a little bit inescapable for the time. So I guess I'm just grateful that they bent the rules a little bit before reinforcing them with a with a vengeance. Um, yeah, but it also, to me, it's not as bad because he's doing it to give them more time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So yeah. there's purpose behind yeah, the, it. Well, it's it's the kind of movie where no one does anything without a reason, so it never feels... Right. It's, I'm talking about what's going on subtextually and politically. Yeah. What's actually happening in the movie is it, it justifies it's justifies itself every single time. But again, crafty Michael Myers... He he hides off in the distance, waits for him to expel two shells. Then yeah. they run up the stairs. That's when he appears. Brady's forgotten that he needs to reload, which gives slow-moving Michael the time to get up there. I like love when he butts him with the gun and just drops it over the railing. Well, actually, before that, he, like when when Brady tries to hit him with the butt end of the gun, again, fantastic shit. Yeah. But just the whole, like when Brady decides, like, well, all right, I'm going to fist fight him. <laughs> yeah. But his last sort of spitting of blood on the floor mm-hmm. in front of him, like, go fuck yourself right before Michael crushes his neck. I'm telling you, dies like a fucking boss. Love it. They totally, it just occurred to me as well, they told, they completely... Aside from the fact that he exists at all, they totally back away from the supernatural element of of Michael in this movie. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. No, you're right. Because I was going to say until the end, but that's not true. (laughs) No. Because he's supposed to die at the end, but... Yeah, yeah. Yes. He he did get... He got killed in this movie, too. Yeah. as far as we know. Which is the big swing yeah. I'm referring to, by the way. But we'll let Oh that they killed Well, Halloween two did that too. They meant they, they wanted him dead too. But what I mean is for a movie that said, Hey, alright, Halloween three doesn't work. We gotta have Michael Myers back. 
yeah. and then they bring him back and try to do him in again and transfer yeah. his power to a child. Oh, um, yeah, you're right. It's it. I Big mean, I don't ass think swing. That's amazing. It is. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but clearly again, another uh, another <laughs> another excellent ending. Oh, it's fucking great. Sorry, and we're jumping ahead I read, though. I, I got the... I got so I got too excited. Okay. We're still in the house. Brady dies like a boss, and then you have the roof chase. And other than Michael Myers walking a little funny because he's in his pads, it's all great. Yeah. And I like the fact that they're both able to do claustrophobic horror. Yeah. Like, we're all trapped in one house. And then also open it up, and I think the rooftop sequence kind of shows the ability to do both. Right. It's (laughs) It's haunted house, but we can, you know... Have an action scene on the roof as well, if we want. <laughs> I also like the fact that, that Michael's um, defeated by a fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. And there is some internal logic in there that, it, okay, if fire couldn't kill him, maybe the opposite of fire will kill him. <laughs> I also love the fact that we, that, you know, we're still following the beer bellies. We're still following them. Right. Uh, you know, they've accepted their limitations as law enforcement. I love that too. I love so much when they're like, and then they they, they put all their efforts into saving. Jamie. Yeah, exactly. Like they should. It's like we we should protect. We shouldn't attack. Yeah. It's like these guys learn something about themselves in the space of this movie, and they're not really a big part of this movie. Yeah, exactly. Except they absolutely are. Sounds good to me. What do you think? <laughs> like, yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's great. It it yeah it is it it's uh it fills out the world of Haddonfield in a way I think they were going for in Halloween too but never really figured out how to do. It feels far more world, seamless in this movie. Which we didn't need to know as much about. Yeah. <laughs> and so I mean I guess we're towards the end right we're we're now we're we're in the truck. We're in the yeah, and like a yeah. Good, or do you have anything more to say about the school chase. scene? Because I there is one good scare in the school scene that I really like, like when Jamie falls down the stairs, and she's crawling mm. away, and I fully expect her to get further away before Michael. But the 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 arm coming in to grab her leg comes in much sooner than I expect, and I think that's a good yeah. scare. Yeah, but this is also where we see yellow-haired Michael. And that's a little hard to take. <laughs> it's really the yeah the one glaring flaw in this movie. But I forgive it because yeah. the rest of the movie is so fucking good. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I agree with all with that. I mean, it, speaking of efficiency, they basically got through the first two movies in about an hour. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> an hour of screen time. They've done Halloween 1 and 2. <laughs> So, you know, it is possible if you don't spend an hour in a hospital. Right. It's perfectly possible. Uh, yeah, the one thing I always thought that was really stupid was, uh, you know, Dr. Samuel Loomis, he he shoots the lock off the school and then the alarm goes off and they mm-hmm. go in the school. 
It's like, yeah. well, you're just attracting Michael. You set the alarm off. Now go somewhere else. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's true. Again, I'll forgive him for his mistakes because he's trying to save that little girl. That's right. I also love the manner in which they constantly don't kill Loomis in all of these movies. Not th- like, like, you know, well, yeah. uh, well, and, well, and well, I want to speak more specifically. <laughs> I take issue with I take issue with that. Well, what I we saw him die. Yeah, I, what I mean is like in four on. There's this thing where there seems to. Especially in this movie, there seems to be some sort of emotional connection between Loomis and Michael. Yes. So that when Michael sees him, instead of, say, putting his thumb into his skull or crushing his neck and head or uh, ripping Mm -hmm. his neck off, he throws him through a window. Like, Loomis always lives. Yeah. You know? There's 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 an interdependence. And it seems like it's more than just the script needs him to live. Yeah. And I think... It's interesting because this changes as the movie goes on. At an early point in the movie, Loomis says, you know, that part of him, you know, the Michael of him, mm-hmm. the person inside him died, died a long, long time ago. ago. Yeah, I think by the end of the film, even though it's not explicitly stated, there's a sense in which Loomis might be wrong and he might know he was wrong, that there is a person inside mm-hmm. there, like a living, breathing, because everything in the movie... Uh, walks back the supernatural to the point where I think even Loomis is now in a different frame of mind. Yeah. Uh, and that's just... And, and this movie doesn't knock you... Like, the next... One of the huge problems with the next movie is it wants to knock you over the head with what's different. Mm-hmm. This movie, you know, it, what's different about it creeps up on you where you almost don't notice that it's different. Yeah, right. Right. Which I think is very deliberate because, you know, any sense of this is going in a different direction, then you have the same problem as you had with Halloween 3, where people don't recognize what they're watching. the same Halloween. Yeah. So so is it, you want them to recognize the formula, but also realize that characters have developed, storylines have developed, things have changed. Characters, yeah. Um, but it's not knocking you over the head with no. it. To the point where you could say a lazy thing, as I hate to say they do in Taking Shape, when they say, you know, uh, this is the, what The Force Awakens is to Star Wars. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Because that movie deliberately did not take any chances, and this movie takes chances. Yeah. Huge chances. Are you kidding me? Well, and so... But they're safe. They are, they are safe chances. But Not at the end. It's safe chances because because they know that it's organic. It is not. It is not a safe choice to make to turn the murderer into a ten-year-old girl. Oh no! Well, okay. Let's talk about that then. Well, first of all, well, first let's talk all, about the car chase first, though. Okay. I mean, because I really like that car chase. I think it's great. It's- very good car chase. You know? It's a solid car chase. The only thing I take issue with is uh, how Michael is 
I, again, he's so crafty. Not only is he hiding underneath that car, but he waits for all the cop cars to pass him before he... He thinks like a screenwriter. Yeah, exactly, before he decides to attack. <laughs> and I also love... It's not... It's that green blood inside him. It's not a great uh, bit of editing or directorial choices to show three or four guys in the back of a truck who just don't hear a guy getting stabbed and thrown out of the truck. And they're just right. still looking forward, but I'll I'll forgive all of that. Those guys are drunk, wildly right. drunk. But, and also, to be fair, the edits are close enough that they seem to just notice when Michael has dispatched one, another one <laughs> attacks, and so uh, you know I'm okay yeah. with it. And yeah, it's it's on the it's on the sort of he's, it's on the that's the, that's the interesting thing. It's like they went from supernatural to crafty, right? So. Where you would explain that normally as, you know, he's supernatural, he can go anywhere and hurt, you know, and, and not be seen. Here it's more like he's just being really quiet because he's sneaky. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. And then, uh, of course, we have about... the, the neck rip. Yes. Which which okay. was another added piece of gore. Yeah. Um, That's good shit. It's it makes I mean at least in this period of filmmaking history it makes way more sense to start small and build up mm -hmm. than start with a movie that will never get passed by the censors and have to work back from it. Right. It's also waste a lot. I mean, like the most expensive effects that they did on horror movies in the eighties were left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Because they had no choice but to do it. Like some of the best work of some of the best practical makeup and effects artists was gone. So this makes it's a safe again safe choice, but a very responsible choice that actually helps the movie. Yeah, right. But, you know, it can also turn on the the schlock. For instance, a slow gun, a slow motion shotgun massacre. Right. <laughs> which. Could not be more of an '80s addition. No, right to the movie, but it works Plus you, really I well. I mean, you have total action adventure with, uh, you know, poor Jamie, just when Sheriff Meeker's like, "Get down!" She, she's got to kind of dive down before the shotgun blasts, and that's the least bad thing that happens to her in any. Of yeah, movies. right. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I I like it I like it a lot. I know that the screenwriters were concerned that they'd given away the ending of the movie when they uh when they connect. Uh -huh, when they touch. But actually I think it's just right. I do too. Yeah. Because I, it they thought they'd blown it. They really, really? They went to the screening and they were like, "Oh no, we gave it away too early." We gave away the ending. No, of the movie I think it's just the, right. They saw the reaction of everyone. They were because like, "Because oh, especially, especially when it. you walk them, when you watch <laughs> them back to back, and you say in Halloween two with the cop who gets killed, yeah, who leans down, he's like, he's dead. So, so you, like, I think fans of the movies are working from that. Don't touch him, yeah. Jamie, and get away from him. Is he's he's yeah. still dangerous? Get away from him. I Not agree. he's transferring power. It's a it's a bluff using the conventions of the franchise. Right. Absolutely, yeah. it works really well. Um, and then we have the real ending of the oh, movie. Oh, it's so good, Tom. Uh, so much that's good about it. I love, I love that the they are willing to paint any sequel 
that comes after it into the biggest fucking corner in the history of movies. You want to do a movie after this? Deal with that. (laughs) And you know that, did you know that for the screenwriters, this was, this was their core idea. Oh, wow. That's great. The whole movie was written around this. To get to that. To get to that. But they also, but I think subsequently they admitted that it was unfair to whoever came next. Um, but I don't care. Not this <laughs> no, no. not this movie's problem. But it's also it's a very rich moment. One it's a it's a jump scare that you don't see coming, mm-hmm. which is exactly how you want every slasher horror movie to end. Sure. Secondly in terms of like the like it's both it's a reference back to Halloween and also to Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> which is could you get a more Halloween moment that is like like simultaneously a psycho and a reference to the original halloween i mean there's there's nothing more perfect in right there. um and also and this is what i mean this is why i brought up that they wrote around this scene is that you rewatch this movie you can see the lineage of this yeah oh yeah as soon as she finds that clown suit right because it's the only thing that explains why she would like you know, as if she's like why she would feel pulled to that costume in the first place. Yeah, yeah. In like she's got a whole Halloween store of outfits, uh, or the back of whatever that pharmacy is, <laughs> right. um, that local pharmacy <laughs> that has everything. Um, she chose that, and the reason she chose that we now find out is because she's genetically cursed. Right. She has a and and they and they they and then the next bit of that is she she touches him it reawakens the psychic link between them she is now michael yeah as far as we know and well until the until the next movie decides yeah that that's not true that it it just it just makes her quiet right (laughs) so yeah i mean it's as perfect an ending as as uh as as halloween 3 is the first the first halloween I think, like, to me, this is why I said it's such a huge swing, because, Mm. and I referenced it earlier, but, like, Mustafa Akkad's sole purpose with this movie was to bring Michael Myers back. And Mm. you got to know that in his head, he didn't want to just do one movie. So how they allowed these writers and this director to... Because, you know, Loomis yeah. has the line, Michael Myers is dead. Yeah. He's buried where he belongs. And then to hear a scream and then slow motion and the great scream of terror from Donald Pleasance that this will go on through a little girl. And she's sitting at the top of the stairs covered in blood, breathing heavily with the scissors up. I mean, to me, that's one of the biggest swings ever. Michael Myers it's is also, dead, I mean, and now the killer is a 10-year-old girl? And the little details of it are so amazing to me. The fact that, that the mother's been identified, her stepmother's been identified as such a sympathetic figure. She's not even someone we want to see killed, right. despite leaving, you know, the the, the usual Halloween parent right. negligence, yes. which we can't do anything you know, about. Cons- <laughs> we, we can't use in evidence. Um the fact that it is killing a you know a sympathetic character um also the fact that 
Loomis tries to kill her. Yes, exactly. In this scene. Let's not forget about that. He straight up tries to shoot a kid <laughs> to death. That's so amazing. It is such an amazing moment, and it, again, it's like it, it's it's a real understanding of tragedy. You know, tragedy, and and this is why a lot of tragedies don't. Have well, sequels, that's why it even goes one step further for me because it's it seems to have sent Loomis into a psychosis. You yeah. know what I mean? So, which he definitely doesn't get out of at any point in the next no. movie. <laughs> um, but again, and again, you know, it's interesting because some of the stuff that really should work in the next movie is that sort of is the turn of Loomis into a you know a, an absolute raving madman right. who endangers everyone. But the fact that he's pulled a gun on her already in this one kind of renders that null and void. <laughs> yes. Right. How much further can he go? You know? <laughs> he was he was totally prepared to kill yeah. her in that moment. So what he does to her afterwards is no better or worse than this. It'd have been great if he got off one shot and then she just gets up. But it's I mean, but I mean, I that's was... ridiculous because like the the last frame of that movie is just picture perfect. <laughs> yeah, and it um, it's interesting. It, it does. Like you said, how how did they let them get away with writing this? And you realize this this is this is the beginning of an alarming trend in these movies, which is you got the sense that Halloween and Halloween two, you know, one was teeing one was teeing a, a sequel up for the other. Mm -hmm. And here, you know, for this movie and the next subsequent two movies, um, it starts an alarming trend of of fucking over the next guy. Yeah. This is, you know, this movie fucks over whoever has to take over Halloween 5. Halloween 5 fucks it over for whoever has to right. take over Halloween 6. So it's the beginning of the end, but in the moment itself, it's so it's such a glorious moment. Uh, earned, justified yes, choice. Right. If you forget that someone has to make a sequel to it. And you're right, like they... They... Uh, obviously knew that they were going to do... They were going to have to do that, so... I applaud everyone it. Everyone is like, everyone now is like one and done. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, the, um, the unintended consequences is whoever takes over next also has to do one and done and solve the other guy's problem. Yeah. <laughs> and Halloween six has to solve two of those problems. Yeah. But on behalf of Halloween four, don't care. Perfect ending. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's worth it. Um, anything left for you? Uh, just a brief credit check. Um, sure. Uh, the credits of this movie list separately co-starring and the cast. And I'm not sure in what way those two entities are different since they're all the same names. Heard. And that's it. All right. That's all I have. As I <laughs> the only thing I'll say... But, but but that does but that I'll just say that that does fit into this movie's efforts to cover its tracks mm -hmm. if ever there was a movie that was like belt and suspenders about this kind of thing it's like hmm co-starring but we want to make sure everyone knows what it means the cast right <laughs> this is like this is the you know the first third of exposition dumps is like we want to make sure everyone's caught up no audience member left behind well uh the only thing I'm going to I'm going to leave this with and we've referenced 
the great work from the actors in this movie. And we talked about Danielle Harris, but just one more shout out of a phenomenal child performance in this movie. Yeah, it, she I mean, she has a she has a confidence and I don't know any other word to say but grace mm-hmm. about her that is severely lacking in the child actor industry because they're all little we you know they're little show off shits right <laughs> so that's how they get into the business is being little show off shits <laughs> and she might have been a little show off shit too but not in this movie not in this movie she it's such a you know wonderful under like uh just a beautiful emotionally honest performance do you think George Lucas saw this and this is why he thought a nine-year-old could carry a feature movie? <laughs> a feature franchise movie? I'm not, I'm not sure that George Lucas has seen Halloween for The Return of Michael Myers. No? But it would explain a lot. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you have something to add about Halloween for The Return of Michael Myers, please let us know. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz of the How Dare, How Dare You Awards here. That's it. We'll be back next time for Halloween 5. Tom, what do you got for me? At least we'd have some MTV while we wait for the cavalry. <laughs> Another reason we know it's an 80s movie. (laughs) All right, take care, everyone. We'll be back soon.